Morning. What's up? What's happening, man? How are you? I'm doing good. The uh, I got a good amount of caffeine in me, and we got a decent amount of sleep last night for a change. So all is well in the Highfield household for now. Nice. For now, uh, that obviously can change. No, yesterday was a little was every bit of a Monday. We had two very fussy girls, um, so that was a lot of fun. But and it rained off and on all day yesterday. I just I don't know. I oh, think yeah, it's supposed to rain again today. But I'm ready for it to cool off. I am ready for fall. Uh, I've never been so excited. I don't think for football, and I don't know why. Probably because I'm more into sports betting now, which is not a good thing. But <laughs> just... it's bittersweet. No, I'm with you on that. And soccer yeah, just started on Friday, so that's I don't know. That's what I look for. I, there's nothing better than, in my opinion, like waking up early Saturday morning, Sunday morning, throwing on a hoodie. Watching it's like nice cool. Premier League soccer. Yeah, you got Premier oh, League soccer Got a on. cup of coffee. Oh, that's the best. And then you got some football later on. So, like, you start to yeah. wake up. You, you start your day with soccer, wake up, then boom, smack dab in the day, football starts. And you got and that fortunately, late at night. So Fortunately, great. you and I, uh, our teams are okay. You're a Ravens fan. I'm a Packer fan. So we, our teams are usually pretty competitive on the football side of things. So if that Premier League morning happens to start poorly, we can redeem our day later in the day, hopefully, yeah, with, uh, hopefully. with some American football. No, I love it. Uh, speaking of that, we had a very good start to the weekend for our two teams, um, Liverpool and Tottenham. We're going to go ahead yeah, that and was nice. that was take nice. a moment for that. Clap, clap. <laughs> take that, Manchester City. Especially um, you, yeah. Honestly, I mean, we just beat Vanguard, but you beat City, and that's that's huge. Hey, Norwich, Norwich very well could have snuck up and won that game, though. That was a that was a needed win because they could have. I mean, if they they could have come out and scored first, it would have been a totally different scenario. I know we can uh, sit here and talk about soccer forever, but I will just say I think they're going to be the Leeds United of this year. Yep, I think they're going to be the ones that were like, whoa, 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 whoa. they're just in yep. the championship. Why are they playing so well? Yep, exactly. Um, and they won. I mean, they no, won the Championship that. League and pretty handily. That's why they're up there. Um, and Brentford, Brentford beat Arsenal, which is always a good, 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 uh, good win in my book. If you beat Arsenal, um, so oh, that yes, was, for sure, that, that was always some good stuff. But no, I'm excited for today because I think it's something that you and I talk about very, very often. And I actually was listening to something over the weekend. Uh, it was probably another podcast, but it may have just been a like a YouTube or something. But uh, they were it was a coaching call in a sense, and they were coaching agents and lenders um, to translate what may be common language for us to what we like to call layman's terms, or basically mm-hmm. don't assume it's easy to follow. Uh, they they actually said a joke. They said they were talking about CTC and escrow, and they're like, well, we don't know what CTC is or what escrow is. CTC, clear to close, escrow, that deposit. We're not going to go into that too much today, but I think today is a good topic to allow us to do some of that. So we're going to talk about 10 reasons why you should own a house. Um, I literally- The good and the bad. I like, I've got mental notes in here, so I didn't even cut you off. But um, I don't know, I was like looking through here and and I definitely think I've got both sides of the fence on some of these. Where I'm like, yes, this is definitely a pro, but- I do see the concern that people face or, or question about. Well, and that's the kind of the the icing on the cake to this conversation, I think, because you and I will tell you like it is. And there are plenty of people we talk to who are like, hey, now's not the time to try to buy a house. But here's what we would do to get to a better time. That's to buy a bullshit. House. 
Oh, sorry, I said it. I said, yeah. but that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like, we sit there and we say, hey, I understand 100% why this, this, and this doesn't make sense. But I'll give a, a quick example. Um, I'm not going to shout any names, but we had somebody come to us over the weekend trying to buy a house. Not quite there credit score wise. Well, guess what? You guys have an in-house credit specialist. And so he's going to work on things. Now, if he never ends up buying a house, okay, we still got him to somebody that is hopefully going to help improve his credit situation, which would then improve hopefully his lifestyle and yada, yada, yada. So sometimes, and that's kind of what we're saying is, yeah, owning a house is great. One of the things on here is it, it can be more expensive to own a house. Everything's your responsibility. They call it freedom in this piece of paper, but I put autonomy. Um, so I wrote a couple of notes down here too. Oh, yeah, but let's like let's go let's through just the, start list. At the top. Yeah, yeah, one through ten because I think it'll make it fun. So uh, the first one is equity, which is essentially how much of the house you own. Um, do you want to start touching on that a little bit since you're the finance guy, and then yeah. I'll kind of round it up. Yeah, definitely. So. I mean, shoot, I'll use a VA loan as an example just to start. If you're buying a house that's worth 300000 and you do not put a down payment down, then your loan amount's 300000 right? You have no equity in that home. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, let's say that house appraised for 320000 and your loan amount is 300000 there's a $20,000 difference. That's what your equity is in your home. Perfect. So it's whatever the difference is between your home's value versus how much, you know, how many liens are on that property. So basically the loan amount. Exactly. And right now is a unique scenario because we are in a growing market. And what I mean by that is the second you buy a house, the second it closes, the next day it's probably worth more than it was when you bought it. Now you can't sell it and make money the next day because there's fees associated with it and laws against that. But for sheer logic standpoint, Right now, the market is appreciating, and so your home's value is going up. So you are walking into equity, which means you are walking into a house and going to make money whenever that time comes to sell because of what Brandon just talked about. The value is going up, but also the longer you're in that house, you're paying that principal down or that that balance down, um, which will come up later in our list. Uh, did we lose me there for a second? I kind of yeah echoed. yeah we did lose you actually. I was I was about to stop you whenever you took a break okay. there. See, yeah, I thought I was in a, a good uh, I thought I was in a good good Wi-Fi spot, but I wasn't. So backtrack a little bit. Equity part, uh, and we are gonna improve this, by the way. We're gonna I, I'm gonna start doing podcasts from the, the mega office at KW instead, because I don't like losing us. Um, backtrack, and I don't edit these things. <laughs> They're just recorded and go. Uh, so the um, the equity port, port, uh, part is cool now because of the market we're in. The market is growing. The second you buy the house, it's appreciating in value, meaning the market is going up. Your home's value is going up in time. And so that's a good thing. You're walking into equity. You're owning that house. Now, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but also the more payments you make on that loan balance, that balance is going down. So your equity is growing from your value going up and from your value or your principal going down now that's where we start getting into a lot of the math and how quickly it goes down and that sort of thing so that's why um, it's so important and what such a good reason to earn rather than paying a landlord and renting and for instance in in the home buyer guide it it discussed under that equity that money paid for rent is money that you'll never see again perfect it's true you know exactly you're going to keep feeding your landlord and you're not paying principal of your of something that you own down by any means, so you're never, ever going to see that money again. 
Whereas in turn, let's say you want to figure out how much your house is worth. You see, like you said, you get an appraisal done. Your house is appreciated over 20,000 over the course of two, three years. And you've paid, you know, 10,000 down on principal. Now you've got 30,000 in equity. Exactly. And so, you so just grew and made some money. By I literally equity. wrote down the notes that you pretty much just said next to equity. I wrote rent makes your landlord money. Because the rent is going in their pocket and the rent is oftentimes paying their mortgage down and increasing their equity in that home. So they're not only making cash, but they're also making equity and mortgage payments let you build equity in your home. That's what we're talking about here. Um, now, what I like about this is this kind of goes into the next step. So if you're paying rent, that's free money that you're paying or that's money that you'll never see again. Um, it's, it's money that you're wasting, so to speak. And versus savings is the number two, which I wrote um, savings kind of build. It, they also call it building equity in your home. And so I wrote home values going up next to it. And that's kind of what we're talking about. So not only are we paying money to ourselves now because it's a product that we're, own, we're owning and every payment is growing our equity, which we just talked about is the value of the house that we own. So you're saving money that way because instead of wasting it, you're putting it towards yourself. Does that mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's pretty much hopefully self-explanatory. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't want to get too far in, into this, but, you know, a lot of people do look at purchasing a home as, as a savings plan. And the reason that they're thinking about that is, hey, I'm going to be paying rent or paying to, you know, live somewhere anyways. I might as well pay this down. And it's almost like a savings account behind the scenes. There's people, investors that'll buy, you know, you talked about this. They'll buy a house, put a 15-year mortgage on it. And then all of a sudden, 15 years later, when their kid's ready to go to college, they'll take a, a refinance out or cash out or sell the house and use that. Exactly. College or whatever. So it's definitely another hand in a different kind of bucket for, of investment portfolios. And, it, and it's safe because it's an asset that you can sell. So you're putting your money in something that you can then turn over ownership to somebody else. You can rid yourself of that liability. And what we're talking about here is you can make money because the equity has hopefully grown. Now, the other cool thing, and this goes into number three, they call it predictability in these buyer guides. Uh, I call it locking in your lifestyle. And now this bounces off of the rent versus buying comparison that Brandon just said. If you got to live somewhere, which everybody pretty much does, you're either going to be renting it from somebody or owning it. Right now, rent is going up ridiculously fast. And it always goes up more than likely year over year. Rent goes up. Rent is not subject to the same real estate market that buying and selling are. However, you buy a house and if you put a mortgage on that house, you are fixing your payment. You are locking in your lifestyle. So as rent on a home would go up and you and I talked about it on a condo this morning, the rent now is probably a good couple hundred dollars over what it would cost to own that house. And it's still going up. Definitely. And so and even if it, and even if it isn't, Let's just say it's $100 more to buy a house. If you live in that house for just a year, that following year, your mortgage payment is going to still be the same. Whereas yep. if you were renting in that, let's just say, that condo downtown and you live in it for a year, that next year, I guarantee that landlord's going to increase your rent at least $100. And then the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year where your mortgage payment, that principal and interest is it's staying strong for however long that term is. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, um, I actually was reflecting back on some old notes the other day. And I think on average, our rents in our market go up between six to 10% a year. So, oh, really? um, 
and, and it's uh, I guarantee it's much higher right now. Uh, but to give you some simple math, if you if it's a thousand dollar a rent, uh, and then let's say your mortgage is eleven hundred, well, after one year, based on what you just said, now your rent's gone up to ten sixty or eleven hundred dollars, six to ten percent, and it's already matched your mortgage payment. So literally one year later, it's already more expensive to rent than it is to buy. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not right this second, that's kind of one of those, hey, well, my rent is cheaper than buying a house. Well, it won't be eventually. And so that's also part of what you're buying into. And then that value is going up. I do like they put a note in here. So uh, like we discussed, the number three reason is predictability. You get that fixed rate mortgage payment. Um, but I love that they include in here. There is two factors that you have to keep in mind whenever you do own a home that could change. And that's your homeowner's insurance that you can shop around for every year. Mm -hmm. And as well as your property taxes, although you don't have much control in those property taxes, it's kind of a bittersweet thing for your, for your property taxes to increase. Cause that typically means that your value's going up. value is also yeah. going up. So although you might have to pay more property taxes each year, um, that typically means your house's value is increasing as well. And that typically kind of levels out. And, I mean, honestly, for the most part, it, it's usually even, even more the, your, your assessed value of your home is typically nowhere near true to your actual value. That's it's a just good what point. the county we have... is saying it's, it's worth, basically, and what they're taxing you on. Exactly. And if you need more explanation on that, there's self-plug here. There's an old episode where I talk about those three different things between assessment, appraisal, and market value. So go check it out. Uh, but no, I'm really <laughs> glad you brought that up because um, property taxes and insurance are oftentimes things that – I don't want to say are overlooked, but it comes up later where that's in large part why your your ownership payment is higher than your rent is because you're also paying taxes and insurance on that property. Um, now, the good news is you're paying taxes because you own it and you're insuring it because you own it. And there's other benefits that we can talk about on another episode or with our preferred partners in those areas, such as bundling your home and auto with Rob Thurston. Um, like there's savings that you can work into there. Uh, but what I like about this, too, is it it kind of leads into the next piece, which is if you own that house, that house is yours. And number freedom. four for, for us is freedom. And I wrote autonomy, meaning uh, you have the freedom to do what you want to that house. You can paint it. You can change it. You can you can do what you want. And the cool thing is you can add value to that house. You Boom. can replace the floors. You can upgrade stuff. You can add on. You can refinished spaces there's so many opportunities there i mean even if it's just so much as replacing the roof um things that happen through ownership it also adds value and you have the freedom to do that if you are renting it oftentimes you're paying for that landlord to do those projects and they're increasing their money not you you hit that one on the head i don't even have any, anything else to add to that that's right sometimes we hit singles sometimes we hit dingers that's what that <laughs> i mean uh, and ironically, that's the one that has the the least amount of notes next to it. I was like, "All right, freedom, got it." Yeah, that was easy. Um, the, but but it is, and and I talk about this a lot in a different uh, context when I refer to buying a house should not be like buying a car, and that's kind of probably a good umbrella for this whole list of items. Is buying a house should be treated like buying an investment or an asset that you can sell and make you money. It should not be treated like something that's going to cost you or lose you money over time. It should be the opposite. If you come into it with that perspective, a lot of these points make a lot more sense. Freedom to own something and to do what I want with it is a good thing if that means I have the final say 
on what I do to add value to this property or when I sell it. One of my favorite Gary Keller stories, and those of you that don't know Gary Keller, he's the founder of Keller Williams. Uh, one of my favorite stories is he all he has never said yes or no to the question, is now a good time to buy? And what he means by that is, is now a good time to buy only matters when you're going to sell. And I was like, well, yeah, um, because it, obviously we can get into can I afford it and those type of things. But if you're strictly looking at is now a good time to buy, yes or no, it depends on when you're going to sell it. Because it, like we said earlier, if you're going to buy it now and sell it tomorrow, well, yeah, you're probably going to lose money. But if you're going to buy it now and sell it in 10 years, I'll be willing to take a chance and say you're probably going to make some money on that house. Definitely. Every single house I've sold on the buyer side is worth more now than it was when they bought it. Now, some of those have obviously sold since then. Um, and I can't say the same for those people. I probably could. They probably bought it and are worth more now, too, except for the ones that are pending. Um, but you get the point. And so this also leads into number five, which is stability. Now, when I hear stability, I refer back to what we talked about earlier, lock-in lifestyle. What they're talking about stability is probably a little bit more. Yeah, um, I'm calling them more with the book. I think that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, you can probably speak a little bit more on that. So go ahead. Because I, I. Yeah. So, I mean, shoot, think about it. I mean, a lot of times when people buy a house, they, they you know, a lot of times it's when they're thinking about settling down, maybe Correct. starting a family or, you know, they found their, their place, their friend group, their community where they want to kind of settle down, rest, start, start life kind of thing. Um, and that's one of the great things and one of a huge reason to own is the, st the stability factor. You're able to sit down and basically start your family and you're not going to have to deal with the chaos of a landlord messing up with your, your, you know, family's budget or, you know, having things change that you can't control. You hit it with the freedom. It's your house, not anybody else's. You and your family can do what you want, be involved as much as you want. You've got you know, the luxury of basically grounding yourself in an area that you want to be for time to come. You know what I mean? I love that. And I actually wrote down, I've been trying to come up with cheesy or short one-liners that I can summarize anything with that either share it with the team or share it with our tribe and so on and so forth. And as you were talking, I wrote, we went, we rent to live somewhere because we have to, we already talked about that, but we buy to plan for the future. And yeah. so what I was kind of thinking as you were talking is nine times out of 10, when I'm working with a buyer, they are not thinking about when they're moving out of that house that we're trying to buy. <laughs> they're thinking I'm buying this house and I'm trying to start my next chapter in my life. And I don't want to think about leaving this house because I'm trying to find this house. That's too far in advance. Now I say nine times out of 10 because I do work with some investors. But more often than not, as a primary resident, you're buying a house because you're planning on, like we just said, establishing some roots, getting to know the community. A lot of times it's it, buying is tied towards a job or a school or a church or a sense of community, whereas renting might be towards uh, something a little bit more short term. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, shoot, whenever I rented, I, I was jumping around every single year. I yeah, mean, especially in Richmond, it's so easy to do. I lived in Scott's Edition for one year and then went to the fan the next year. And, you know, just you could just keep I had friends that, you know, did the same thing. Went from Scott and some of that is a choice of life now in Manchester. Exactly. And some of that is a choice of lifestyle. And for those people that like to move around or bounce around, that is great. But for some people, it's it's less 
to their choice or to their control. It's more of what we talked about earlier. It's an affordability thing too. Rent keeps mm-hmm. going up. Now that two bedroom in Scott's edition where everybody wants to be is out of your <clears> price <throat> range. You might have to move over to Manchester. And so you might have had, you might have to move every year because the rents are going up and you can't control that. But you can see I'm backtracking to, to one, two, and three, where if you own, you, you do lock in that lifestyle. And so you don't have to move um, unless you choose to. Now, number six, which I think is really cool. Uh, too many people, I think, confuse or misunderstand the term net worth or how much somebody is worth. And this is pretty interesting because it says, according to the Federal Reserve, homeowners have an average net worth of 184000 while renters average a net of just 4000 that is because homeowners are building equity. That home ownership counts. It's pretty obvious to me when I read that. But at the same time, if you think about it, that equity or how much you own in that house counts towards your net worth. If you don't own anything, it doesn't count towards that. Also, automobiles don't really count because they're depreciating in value. So people don't really count owning a nice car unless it's like an antique as net worth, even if it's paid off. I'm pretty sure the the like average home value index or whatever it is um... – in the U.S. is around 290, so that's actually pretty good. I mean, that you got to think a lot of people have loans on those. Yeah, and I mean, the net worth on average is 184. Right, solid. Yeah, and that's what's cool is um, what you touched on earlier is that market value or appraised value of your house minus your loan balance is approximately your equity, and so that's about what you would owe or apply towards your net worth. So this is saying that, um, and, and it also comes with any other assets you own. Uh, I believe cash counts, yeah, cash counts to your net worth. So some of this is factored in. 401k savings accounts, those type of things are considered assets, investment accounts. So it's not all in the house, but what you're saying is true. There's a good chunk of it that is owned, um, which is good. It's not like the VA example where you don't own any of the house because it's fully financed. Uh, now, additional income is number seven. This is my bread and butter, my sweet spot, and one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, and that is using a property or a piece of real estate to make you income. Now, the simplest way to do this is rent out a room, get a roommate. Most of us or most of the people that are renting and us included when we were renting had roommates anyways. And uh, so you were splitting the same thing. Now you can look at splitting the mortgage with another roommate and that is called house hacking um there are plenty of other investment opportunities too to touch on with the house uh do you want to add anything to that or do you want to no i mean we've talked about a lot of stuff with this but i mean it's a great source to use i mean use your house to to, to generate some additional income and it's so easy to do i've seen people turn you know basements into airbnbs or or put a full kitchen down there and rent a room out you know or or, you know just or sorry rent the basement out or just rent a whole room out you know shoot i did that whenever i had or bought my house um initially i did too it's very easy to do it's a smart thing to do especially if you're in your 20s um you know in a single like early 30s like i don't see why more and more people don't do this It's, it's very simple to do And that's not to be overlooked, guys. We're speaking to something that Brandon and I both personally did. We bought our first house and we had people live with us and pay us rent. My daughter's godfather is did the exact same thing when he bought his house. So my some of the closest people in my in my life, including myself, have done exactly what we're talking about. It's not it's there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing it's it's not 
it's not a loophole. It's not cheating the system. It's a smart strategy to get into buying a house, owning a house, having a roommate. And guess what? Every single time I've seen somebody do this, every single time, that roommate ends up buying a house too. Yeah. Will definitely. Will bought a house. That was your roommate. Mm-hmm. Chris, who was my roommate, bought a house. And Scott, who we're talking about, Dan, his buddy just bought a house. Um, and all three of these people bought a house this freaking year with us. So it's like, hey, it's it happens very, very often. So um, it, it's very common that we see this. And it is additional income because, like we've talked about, that that payment staying fixed. And so if your monthly payment for a mortgage is 1200 bucks and you're splitting that right down the middle, now you own a house for $600 a month. Most people can't rent a room that way, anywhere for that. No, nah, not a chance. No, not so chance. Um, so it's it's really really cool. Now that kind of goes back into or leads into number eight, and and a lot of these obviously are centered around money, and that's because that's the biggest hurdle for most of us when it comes to buying a house. Um, but number eight is is probably our favorite topic together is the lower down payment. I'm going to shut up and let you talk about that because that's your area of expertise. Definitely. I think this, the home buyer guy hits this pretty well. Historically speaking, it was very, very common for people to make down payments up to 20% of the home's uh, purchase price. Um, you know, people thought that that's, that was what you had to do and that was the norm. It eventually became so common that people thought that that was the requirement. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. And especially current day there are so many different down payment options that are so much lower and affordable for people to to basically um secure so you know and just using virginia as an example we're partnered with virginia housing that offers so many first-time homebuyer programs and products they've got grant options out there now there's a hundred percent financing options out there now there's agricultural loans that are a hundred percent financing um you know if you're a veteran if you're active military will go through the VA and secure a 100% financing loan through them. And a lot of this stuff is still great programs that have very affordable monthly payments. So people think, well, I thought I needed 20% down to just have an affordable monthly mortgage. Now, that is not the case. When we're comparing these rents to the your rent to your mortgage payment, we're not even counting people putting in 20%. We're using worst case scenario, 3% to 3.5% down. Thank Most... you for saying that because that is my biggest pet peeve. Um, you summed it up perfectly. It used to be everyone thought this was so from my career in real estate, I've seen a little bit of a shift in mindset, particularly to first time home buyers. I'm still young. That's a lot of who I work with. That's a lot of who our team work with. Um, it's not all we work with. We work with plenty of other uh, types of clients, but with first time home buyers, particularly, it was, well, I have to have 20% down to buy a house. Once they started learning that wasn't particularly true, it became, well, if I don't put 20% down, it's bad or it's too expensive. And now we're starting to battle that mindset by saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's, we talk about living in your payment. And that is exactly what you're talking about. We will run scenarios for you that will show if I put X amount of dollars down, whether I have it or not, what does my monthly payment look like? And if you don't have it, that's when we explore some of these grant options or 100% financing options, or like Brandon said, lower down payment options. And as long as that payment is still within your budget or within your comfort zone, who cares? That's a better thing to do because again, you're owning the house, you're gonna build that equity up and that payment will stay locked in as your home value grows. If I had to guess more times than not, my clients that aren't that aren't aware that you, they can put as little as three percent down or even five percent down, um, 
come to me and they say, hey, we're preparing to put X, Y, and Z down. Most times, more times than not, I show them, hey, here's a little bit cheaper option. And they end up going with that, even though the monthly mortgage payment's a little bit higher. Yep, because that cash because, is worth it. Yeah, they don't want to take out of the safety net. Or, I mean, rates are so cheap right now, they're fine with borrowing the money. And they'll put the money that they were going to spend on the house and give it to their investment advisor. You know, grow the, Yeah, grow your investment accounts. Or... What I have seen, and it's not, it shifted a little bit in the market, so it's not quite as common now, but especially at the beginning of the year when all those bidding wars were happening, we were talking to buyers about saying, hey, why don't you put a little bit less down because your monthly payment's not going to go up but so much. And then that extra chunk of cash, you can put into repainting the house or changing out the floors or doing a few cosmetic or major major cosmetic, not, not major renovations, but um, a few changes to the house. And now it broadens what you're looking for in a property, because if you don't need something to be everything is done and everything is turnkey, well, then you're going to have less competition. We had one yesterday that I showed a client first house we looked at, and it did need a few things to it. It probably could use a whole paint, whole power wash outside, and then maybe a few things inside. Um, But it allowed us to go in there and say, cool, it's been in the market for about a week, two weeks now, we can get a little bit less than asking probably. Like we were able to actually negotiate instead of worrying about multiple offers. And I think that's really important because a lot of the air quotes media right now, a lot of the stories that we are hearing is it's still a crazy market or it's not a good time to buy or everyone should wait. And that's total opposite from the truth. Yeah, it's not. I, I don't I don't know if it's because like six months ago we had a little tiny kind of stint of people offering kind of over asking. I mean, people were getting desperate. It just, yeah. there, there was, a, there was definitely a little problem with inventory. It was low. Right. Yep. And then it's like, nobody, it's like they said all this stuff, made all of this, this, they basically created this dark cloud over the home buying process right now. And while all of us that are in the industry are out in the sun and the light making this stuff happen, it's like there's a lot of people still stuck under that media cloud that's just dark and scary. It's not the case. You have a couple uh, agents on your own team right now who have put on in phenomenal offers at asking and has gotten oh, a yeah. contract. Even under asking. Um, or yeah. gotten seller concessions. Or, um, I mean, Jake, who just closed last month with us and one of your good friends. He bought a house at listing list price, which is also where it appraised. So we didn't have to go over asking, but he also got an extra four grand from the seller. It's beautiful. So, so it, I mean, there are win-win situations out there for people right now. And it's not, it's not as negative as it sounds. The other side of it is I think the sellers or the listing side of the market has caught up. Meaning I think the bidding wars accelerated quicker than the market anticipated and so you were seeing things listed a little bit lower than probably where they should have been based on the demand and now sellers have also caught wind of this market and listing agents have caught wind of this market and we're pushing the envelope almost every single seller i potentially meet with we give a cma or a range and they're picking the top half of that range whereas six seven months ago they weren't they were saying we trust you you do with it now they're like now it's a lot more of I'd like to push the envelope. I'd like to push the envelope. I'd like to push the envelope, which is fair. Everybody deserves that, but it's a slippery slope when you list too high. Um, And so I think that's what's also deterred some of the market uh, from these crazy offers is you have list prices that are a little bit higher. um, And then you have buyers that are a little 
less anxious to maybe pull the trigger, which is a good thing. I think we should all slow down a little bit and make sure we're taking the right steps. But to what we're talking about today, it's a really good time to buy. And maybe nine and 10 will sum that up. Number nine is tax savings. I don't want to speak too much on this. And I know you probably won't either because it's not our preferred area. We actually refer a lot of the tax saving stuff out to your personal CPA. Um, but the biggest takeaway here is mortgage interest, private mortgage insurance, and actually your closing costs when you buy um, are all tax, maybe tax deductible depending on your scenario. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you'll get a form in the mail right before you, you're ready to, to file your taxes, um, which will basically show your total mortgage uh, interest paid over the course of the year. Give that over to your CPA or accountant and let him work his magic. Yeah, I believe it's called um, like a W-4 or something. I shouldn't know the name of the So form. you sign a W... Oh, oh man, it's, it's not a W. Is it W-9? You sign a W-4, I believe, at closing. Yeah. Um, But the form that they send you is... They send you a record. 1098. Of, yeah. Like yeah. You 1098, you're right. Yep, yep that yeah. Is yeah, they send you a 1098, which you file with your taxes. And they will do that for any property you own, um, which is great. So uh, it's... And, and you usually recognize it when it comes in. It's it's pretty obvious what it is. Um, I can't remember if it's a W-4 or W-9 in closing. Don't quote me on that. I need to double check. On I'm that. pretty sure it's W-4 because W-9 is our um, – we have to sign one of those for any referrals we do Okay. from from KW. Like KW provides us a W-9. Yeah, purpose. I don't know why that's in my head right now, W-9. I don't even, um, just, I don't even look at those. Lot of for some reason, that's coming on the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, we've touched on this some, um, but I think this is a perfect way to round off today's conversation is opportunity. And it says in today's market, the affordable housing prices, what we just talked about, um, large inventories of homes available. I'm not going to necessarily agree with that. Inventory has improved. I wouldn't call it large, but the low mortgage rates are definitely there. And so they're a great opportunity for many buyers, whether you're a first time home buyer or not. Um, one little tidbit to add to that too is prices are still going up. So that's where I am kind of really trying to push this sense of urgency of, hey, I can't promise much for the future, but what I can promise is it will be more expensive to buy than it is today. Um, and that will be through a couple of different reasons. So yeah, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish, uh, you know, the 10th reason to end, honestly, in my opinion, might be the most important Um you know, opportunity is kind of the whole reason that you're doing this anyways, right? You're getting an opportunity to, to have a roof over your head, but it's also giving you financial opportunities for so many things down the road. I had this conversation with a, a buddy of mine recently. He sent me, um, it was like a post, it was like a meme, and it was basically just stating, you know, how a house can get expensive when you buy it, whether it be with the down payment or maybe fixing it up and the interest that you're paying down the road. And I told him, yeah, that that's definitely might be the case 10, 15 years ago when interest rates were a lot higher. And also, you're not going to buy a crappy house that we're not going to let you buy a crappy house. It's going to put you yep. in a position where you are going to fix it up every single weekend, you know. But the, the point of this was I told him, I was like, if you're looking at those upfront costs that you might spend, you're not looking at the opportunity, which is the whole pur- purpose of you owning this house anyways, is that it should you're be long-term yourself. thinking. Yeah, it's long-term thinking. You're paying yourself. You're paying down um, principal. You're developing equity. And then you and I talk about all the time, the opportunity that comes from that after buying your house is just endless. You have the option to sell. You have the option to borrow from that equity. 
You can take out a HELOC. You can refinance. You can put a renter in to make invest or, or rental income. Um, there's so and that's many one room already. all the way up to the whole house. Exactly. Like, um, yeah. I've seen you can Airbnb it now. There's short term rentals. There's um, office spaces that you can. I mean, depending on where you live and that sort of thing. No, but what's really um, unique there too is the opportunities now are probably more prevalent than they've ever been. Um, and then on top of that, we are having, I totally lost the tra- my train of thought too. I was trying to recover it as I was talking. Keep <laughs> finishing your, your thought and let me see if I remember what I was going to say. Oh, no, you guys. Yeah, I just want to end it with, I mean, just it, it just, there's an endless opportunity there whenever you own your house. A lot, a lot of people sleep on it. It is something that you own. I know it's something big and it's not something you can fit in your pocket and take with you, but it's something that you can fall back on. I remember now. Hit it. <laughs> um, touched on it earlier with the house hacking, but I find myself anal- like laughing sometimes to myself with the, I know there's a sense of fear when it comes to buying a house because you and I have been through it and I've been through it a couple times now, but in the, I've now owned houses for seven years. I say houses. Um, I've, I've owned a house for seven years now and you've been in yours for over almost two years. Um, how often do you call somebody to come fix something? Like you're the one living there. So you should have control over taking care of your house. So I think a lot of the fear is, well, if something goes wrong, I, I don't have the landlord to call. I have to take care of it. And it's like, yeah, but how often does something go wrong? And so it's about our perspective. And so, and then the other side of that is, yes, you might have to pay for something to fix it or to repair it or even to renovate it or replace it. But if you look at the cost that you're inputting to that project, even if it's something big, a roof replacement, an HVAC replacement, I mean, think big, expensive repairs, couple things there. A, you might have a warranty that can cover it. B, if it's a freak accident, your insurance might cover it. And C, regardless, it's going to improve the value of your house. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to get your money back from it regardless. So there's a lot to take in here that I hope lessens that fear, um, uh, lessens or decreases that that hurdle or that hill it seems to overclimb. Uh, we also have these guides available, right? You still have some of these to give, give to people? Oh, yeah. I'm actually about to put another order in. I gave a lot of them out. I, I keep a couple, obviously, for when I see somebody that's like, hey, I, I need to give one of these out. Yeah, um, these are really good. These are really good. Um, we'll probably be picking apart these things more on future episodes. Um, but I love these guides. I love giving them to people. Uh, and so if you guys want one, reach out to us. I hope this was helpful. Brandon, do you want to add anything before we, we round it off? No, uh, I think this is a great one. Please, you know, definitely reach out to us. We're here to help, and you know, with all of the, with all of the positives, there obviously is some negative that comes with it. But honestly, we've been through this, and we know how to smooth that out and to to show you the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, sometimes this stuff can get scary, but it's actually it shouldn't be. It's it scary should, because it should be. It should be exciting. It. Yes, and if you surround yourself with the right people, it's exciting. The opportunities that you can do. I mean. Look at it from uh, an immediate team situation. We are about to close on my personal refinance. You're about to close on Amy's personal purchase, who's our COO. Um, so, I mean, we are deeply, deeply in this. We've been through this. And one of my favorite things that Amy says about her contractor, she doesn't refer anybody out that hasn't done a personal thing on her house. 
we're the same way in almost everything we do. Mm -hmm. um, meaning you and I, you and her, me and her, we are only going to advise things that we know and trust to believe to be true or to be a benefit or to get you closer to your end goals. So it's not, it's not saying this to, to drop what you're doing and go buy a house because owning a house is not right for everybody in this season of life. But there are a lot of good reasons, and we just went over 10 of them, why it's a good idea to try to own them again. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It was nice to get back to our normal mornings of Tuesday recordings. I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode of 10 Reasons to Own a House with Brandon Riley and Austin Highfield, Tribe of Wealth Podcast. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks Have a great week. What's up, guys? It's Austin. Thanks for listening to the Tribe of Wealth podcast. Been a minute since we recorded one of these. We did have a little bit of a season break there, but we're super excited today because we are joined by special guest Russell Munn. He is with Hermitage Wealth Management. He's a financial advisor and most importantly, a fellow JMU alumni graduate like myself. We have a great chat today about relationships, building transformational relationships, especially, which means lifelong and caring and helping to learn what your needs are and how that can apply to your big financial picture. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. And as always, thanks for listening and please share. And we hope to hear from you soon. Y'all take care. What's up, guys? It's Austin. Thanks for listening to the Tribe of Wealth podcast. Been a minute since we recorded one of these. We did have a little bit of a season break there, but we're super excited today because we are joined by special guest Russell Munn. He is with Hermitage Wealth Management. He's a financial advisor, and most importantly, a fellow JMU alumni graduate like myself. We have a great chat today about relationships, building transformational relationships especially, which means lifelong and caring and helping to learn what your needs are and how that can apply to your big financial picture. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. And as always, thanks for listening and please share. And we hope to hear from you soon. Y'all take care. What's up? It is an ongoing joke on this show that our guest is always first ahead of Brandon. Oh, of course. And even though Brandon has his tricks to get in, he'll probably log in in a few seconds as I'm saying this, but I'm to ever beat the guest. It's really funny. <laughs> well, you know, if you know Brandon at all, he's uh, he's he's great. He's fantastic. But you know, sometimes sometimes uh, you know, you gotta 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 stay on him to make sure it's, uh, make sure he gets to somewhere on time. Let's put it that way. I like that he is running the ship with the uh, the podcast today. Though this is this is nice. It's a nice change of pace for me to take my hands off the wheel. Brandon, we're talking about you. Talking crap already. We just got started. I, we were just saying how it's inevitable that you're going to um, be second to logging in. Even though if you have your quicker way now, you're still not going to get it. It still takes me time. I'm you're, you're, not wrong. you're not wrong. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't know what it is. I don't know why they hate you so much at Anchor. but It works. I mean, once I go through my app, it just still, do, you know. Do you use Apple like... Music or Spotify? Spotify. See, I'm an Apple Music guy, but Spotify owns Anchor, and they hate you. They don't hate me. So I don't oh, know. my Spotify hates me, too. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't, don't get it twisted. I'm, but I'm I blame that on Apple, because Apple came out. Remember, I don't know if this is, this is super off topic of what we're talking about today, but Apple came out with, like, or Spotify came out, like, two, three years ago. It was like, all right, we're trying to make these really cool widgets and, and the stuff 
that is very compatible with Android, but Apple is denying us. And I think Spotify tried to like sue Apple or do something. There was some legal action that got brought up because <laughs> Apple was restricting the things that Spotify was allowed to do on their apps and through the Apple sense. App Store. So yeah, they've been clashing for a couple of years. Hey, now. shoot your shot, Apple. Good for you. Like, we're just going to make it as difficult as possible for any uh, of our competitors to, yeah. to do business, basically. <laughs> Brandon, if it makes you feel any better, I am, uh, I'm Team Spotify, too. So What the hell? Y'all <laughs> no, it's like uh, it knows me, though. Spotify's like, hey, we know you, man. Apple Music's the same way, more. dude. You know what's really creepy, though? So we had um, – this is totally off topic, too, but – we had a Amazon Alexa, uh, like one of the little Echoes, little dots, you mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about, the little cheap guys. I forget how we ended up with it. We, we got it, like it was one of those, like buy a ring, you get an Amazon Echo or something like yeah. that. But uh, long story short, I left it outside one day from when we had it outside playing music. The dogs got after it, chewed it up. It didn't work anymore, so we replaced it. And um, Kelly was thinking, oh, well, we're all iPhone. Let's get like a little iHome instead. And so we got the most basic one of those, one of the little $100 little iHome thing is, I will walk in the room and not say a word and it'll just start playing music. (laughs) Or it'll just like give me a definition of something that Siri looked up. And I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) So it is definitely either taking over our household or it's like that old Disney movie, Smart House. Did y'all ever see that? Oh, my wife yes. My yeah. wife brings that up all the time. Thank actually. you. Somebody else brought that up. My mind is the same thing. Somebody else brought it up in conversation. I want to say it was like last week or something. I was like, wait, people actually know what that movie is outside my household? Because <laughs> I did not think it was as popular as people seem to make it. But legit, technology I mean, is taking over today. Yeah, it's taking over. It's taking over. But that is not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, nor are we here to talk about Brandon and I struggles with technology. We're here to talk about you, Russell. What is going on? Introduce yourselves. Give us your elevator speech. Take yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for having me. First off, guys, uh, my name is Russell Munn. Uh, I'm a financial advisor in the uh, Richmond, Virginia area. Um, grew up in Mechanicsville, so you know I've been around the area all my life. Uh, never. Never deviated too far away from the uh, from the mean. What high school uh, did you go to? I went to uh, to be uh, correct Mechanicsville High School. okay. It was Lee yeah. Davis at the time. I will uh, never be able to say that as Mechanicsville. I don't think it's, I it's, should, but it's it, tough. It takes time. Yeah. It, it, what it are, takes what time. are they again? Are they the Mustangs? Is that right, or is that the elementary school? Uh, they are the Mustangs, uh, and their their oh, colors are. I think like purple, orange, silver. No you know, shit, the... they've rebranded everything. Oh, it's it's a whole new. Oh, wow. And also, yeah. also the middle school changed too. It's not Stonewall anymore. It's I, I think that. Twin yeah. Twin River. I think that's right. Twin River. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like that. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a cool name. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, Stonewall so. to me. So not to cut you off too much. Yeah. Sorry, but um, I have refound myself in the sport of wrestling and like middle high school coaches and who I know and who's still involved and that sort of thing. Just mm-hmm. through people I know. And Stonewall was always really good. And it was funny because Stonewall Jackson, military, obviously kind of had that old country boy mentality. Like, no wonder they kick the shit out of all those middle kid, middle school kids. Like, they're grown. Mm-hmm. We're not. Like, it makes tons of sense. But you change that to Twin River. And now it's like, why are they good? Like, <laughs> who, who, that just sounds like another 
PG rated <laughs> middle school name that was yeah. built in the last three years. That's funny, but yeah. not that wrestling is why we name middle schools not to get there. But um, so Lee Davis grad, awesome. Keep going. Yeah. So Lee Lee Davis grad. Um, now I currently live over in Midlothian, though. So definitely uh, was a, a big culture shock to me to go uh, <laughs> south of the river. I'll tell you that much. You know, I'll tell you when I was growing up, my wife and I joke about this all the time. Um, you know, going over, you know, the river and going down 288, it was kind of like a foreign entity. Like you knew it was there, but uh, you never went past Short Pump. Uh, so yeah. we're, we're there now. We love it a lot. It's uh, what part of uh, Southside again? What part of Midlothian? Yeah. So uh, if you get off Hull Street, um, going back towards Richmond, we're off of Bailey Ridge. So, okay. uh, exactly so like, right. yeah, yeah. So you take that right at that DQ there, and uh, mm-hmm. we're in that neighborhood that's all connected there on the left. Yes. Yeah, so you know that's that's where we're that's where we're residing currently. More Brandon um, stopping territory, but oh no, I was kind of the same way. I was from Chester, and going yeah, up that way, way was kind of foreign yeah. until I yeah. hit high school and had to drive up that way to play lacrosse. But yeah, but I, I, shoot, I, I rarely even go to Chester. Honestly, uh, we went to anybody like, rarely goes says. To I remember right. growing up, people were like, where are you from? Like Chester? And they're like, what? Richmond? What? Just, you know what? 30 minutes south of Richmond. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I did this. I did the same thing growing up, uh, especially when I got into college. Yeah, I didn't say mechanics origin. I always said Richmond. Mm-hmm, uh, but uh, but JMU, it's got a big, uh, big mechanics full population. Uh, you know, Which is what of, was lot... so funny to me. Like, everybody called it Richmond. But here in Richmond, it's a big deal to say, like, where you're from. Yeah, like it's, yeah. Like you have to be a little bit more specific. You can't exactly. Be like, I'm from Richmond. Like, all right, no, you're not. Where are you from? <laughs> you're not like, even. From I Richmond don't know proper. anybody that's actually from <laughs> Richmond. No yeah, you're not even from city. Richmond proper. You're from the yeah. from the outside of it. So, yeah. but yeah. So I mean, that's 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 a little bit about me from the standpoint of uh, who I am and and where I uh, where I grew up. Did you always yeah. want to go to JMU? I love asking this question to fellow. Oh JMU man, it people. was uh. So my my mom went to JMU. I've uh, always been like associated with the college. Yeah. Uh, so it was definitely my dream school. I can tell you that much. That's awesome. Um, and and I'll tell you actually, funny enough, one of the probably my my fame to claim at, at JMU is obviously they won the national championship in you know 2016 2017 year right. Yeah. And um, I was a filmer for that team. So I no got to, uh, to go through the whole process. I was there from August to, I mean, basically until I graduated. And um, that was uh, that was the national championship when it was like six degrees down in Frisco, right? Oh, man, it was cold. Yeah. But, but I'll tell you, you say, you say that's cold. You don't understand how cold things are until you're in Fargo, North Dakota in November. Oh, I can that's Because that's, uh, that's where we uh, – that's where Duh. we ended up right you know, before a semifinal. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I'll tell you, here's another funny story is um, I had to take a final exam. You know, like those old school bars that you think of where it's like one swinging door in. Yeah. Um, I had to take my final exam in a bar that was attached to our hotel. That was just like, no that. shit. That's really funny. Yeah. Like yeah, some so. old, like, salute, like that uh, TV show Westworld. Did any of y'all watch that at all? Like, uh, you like stepping back into like all Western times. Like, yeah, similar, similar. Yeah. No, but uh, that national championship game was really funny. I had uh, tickets to go to the game, bailed last minute, decided not to go to Texas, sold the tickets, held a little watch party at home. Mm-hmm. And then I remember to this day laughing at it in 
uh, I call it Richmond still. It obviously wasn't. It was in Rico. But at my house, it was like 30 degrees warmer in January in Richmond than it was in Texas where everybody was at the, at the game. It was, it was Because it was North cold. Texas, and it was one of those just weird cold fronts that came through and was like wind chill of negative 10. I was like, well, y'all have fun with that. I'm going to yeah. sit inside. Uh, then we won, and it was a bit of a letdown because I was like, man, it would have been cool to be there. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was an experience. I mean, that whole season was an experience in general. But uh, but I actually got a national championship ring. So, uh, no, so shit, Austin, for sure, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, so when I, when, I, when I see you, I'll have to show you a picture of it, man. It's, it's oh, ginormous. <laughs> so, all right. Now, that's going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to reel us into topic, but this is also really cool because – you said you filmed with the football team. Was that your study or your your passion, or how did you get to loan off? Or I mean, uh, financial aid, where you are now, like financial advising, that kind of yeah. world. Well, that when seems I seems like I, polar opposites. What you what you <laughs> study at JMU? Yeah, so I I, uh, I studied media arts and design. Uh, my my number one job was it coming out SMAD? Of- is that what that major was? At you JMU? got it. Yeah, I was hey, a SMAD. See, look at me. I'm still cool. Hey, you still, you still, you still, still got, got the connections there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Whole different world, like other side of campus there. But Yeah. So I, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist when uh, I came out of college. Like I wanted to be on ESPN. That was, uh, that was my, uh, that was my dream. And then uh, once I actually got into the nitty gritty of it, I kind of just fell out of it. Wasn't, wasn't really super passionate about it. Um, so then went on to corporate communications. It's another uh, sub concentration inside of the major. Basically, think of it as like advertising. So, mm. um, so did a lot of advertising classes. Um, and even then, I just I didn't um, necessarily want to you know be be in uh, SMAD anymore. So, I just took a lot of business classes um, and you know got my degree from SMAD. That's that's what I ended up graduating with. If I would have gone for like another year and a half, I probably would have gotten my double major in business. Wow, okay. Nice. But yeah, but cool. um but again just really kind of fell out of it and just like a lot of other uh college graduates, you know, I mean I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I got out of college. Um but weird enough, you know, the one thing that I've always had cuz I've always been a people person, I've always had this like really innate want to help people. Um and uh, I'll tell you, funny enough, how I got into this job is I just ended up working at Men's Warehouse again. Just didn't didn't know what I wanted, wanted what I wanted to do, but I wanted to get into some kind of consulting business, you know, or kind of consulting um, fields. And I still knew that a lot of business professionals still wear slack suits, you know, ties, shirts, you name it. And uh, funny enough, that's how I ended up meeting my current boss. He offered me a job. He's a JMU grad too, um, so we had go. that connection. Even in the family, exactly. Yeah. And uh, from there, I've just been, you know, loving what I do. It's uh, it's one of my favorite things that I do. Did you have a cliche like? And this is a little bit of a of a poke at, at Brandon too, because Hamp Sydney has belts. But did you have a cliche like JMU tie on or anything that no, falls on? No, no, that would have been really cool if he was like, I'll oh, tell you, JMU, is, me too. Actually, actually I do have something funny so he was heading up to um and this this will be a little bit later about exactly what we do um but he was out heading up to a retirement plan in west virginia that we do um some work with and he came in he said hey i need a sport coat and i pulled out this purple velvet jacket i told him because he said he was going to west virginia 
there, obviously. And I was like, look, you want to make a statement? This is this is what you need to make. This is what you need to wear. And uh, he he didn't pick it, obviously. Um, but he ended up trying it on. And that's how we got talking about purple, which ended up JMU. And that's how <laughs> I we thought made the you were going to say he bought that's it funny. because of JMU. So that I, would have be the, awesome. I have the purple and gold Argyle pants. Don't know if you've seen that picture. Three yep. a bunch lately. <laughs> Uh, being football season is back. So um, there was at one time, um, it's not as PG appropriate of a picture, um, but but the <laughs> college game day, ESPN game day day, I yep. had a full on purple suit on at that game. Um, I like that. And my, now, my you... buddy had the Argyle pants with me and we were talked about all over campus. Too. Yeah. Now, were you working at Men's Warehouse when you were in college or is that what you did after you graduated? And came that's just, yeah, that's what I did when I came yes. home. Uh, hey, there just, you, go. Uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed kind of dressing up, you know, and I know that's not the, the stigma anymore, right? It's a lot more. Hey, dress to impress as I'm uh, sitting here in the hoodie, but that's, uh, I, that's, I will say Russell, once you, once you meet him in person, Austin, this is the most well-dressed individual <laughs> professional, especially our age that you will come across. I'm telling you, hey, like, you I love him, that because I just appreciate he is fashion. And I will run with it when it's about 40 degrees cooler outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. He does it. He puts it together. And I say that, but this is all pre-kids. Now that I have kids, I'm like, I'm going to keep a t-shirt on because I don't know if (laughs) the going to throw up on me. Um, I don't know. I did have fun throwing the suit on at the wedding last weekend. I don't know. It's a a time and place for it, I think, to dress up. Uh, I keep chiming in, but I'm excited to, to get to know more. So, yeah, Men's Warehouse, fast forward, meet your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start working? Where you at now? How long were you at Men's Warehouse? Was there anything in between? Uh, so the way it started for me is um, I started interning at uh, our firm. So our firm's called Hermitage Wealth Management, mm-hmm. um, and I started interning basically beginning of twenty, uh, I guess twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen sounds right. Um, and what I did is I came to our office, um, you know, I would do normal intern things. I would process paperwork, um, you know, but I'll tell you one thing that I really enjoyed looking back on is I started to learn a lot about the business at a very, uh, at a very quick pace because of just having to do, um, you know, paperwork and the, the normal things I had to do. Um, but I would work for, as an intern here from nine to one. I would then go study because uh, obviously become a financial advisor, you have to get certain licenses. Um, so I would go study from one to four and then I would work, um, from four to nine at men's warehouse for most of 2018. And then I officially, once I got through all my licensing, uh, that, that is required, I went full time as an advisor, October of 2018. And I've just been rocking and rolling ever since. Man, that is huge. That's, I mean, it definitely takes some commitment and and self-discipline to do, shoot all three of those things. You were working, Mm -hmm. interning. Learning the backbone of everything, the behind the scenes stuff, then studying, being a student, and then as well as still, you know, trying to support yourself and, and make a living there. That that's huge, man. It takes a special person to, to really sit down and do that. Yeah. So when, ahead, when you started so when you started out and, and you know, kind of went full time advising at the end of there in twenty eighteen, um, who'd you kind of first start helping? You know, what was kind of your drive there, your motive? Who were you trying to get introduced to? Yeah, so when I started, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of background about our firm in general, um, again, I told you it's, it's named Hermitage Wealth Management. Um, we do, obviously, financial planning, investment advisory, but where we kind of differ from a lot of people 
Um, I would say is our business is split half and half from the standpoint of we do a lot of individual investment advising, a lot of individual financial planning. In fact, that's really all I, I, I focus on is really the people and the connections that are associated with that um relationships but, yeah so relation that's what i'm very big on right i mean i what what really drives me um is, is helping people um especially with you know something as as uh, important as financials and and money um but so uh kind of going back a little bit um where who i started with was a lot of our retirement plans here you know again i'll tell you one uh, one benefit of retirement plans um in general is that we can provide education to people, right? If they have questions about their retirement plan, uh, the funds that they're invested in in their retirement plan, um, you know, really just kind of starting to make those connections. That's that's where I uh, I started is uh, is helping those people understand what they're doing, how they're doing, what they could potentially do better, um, as well as you know transitioning them into individual clients. You know, when they're like, hey, I'm interested in actually doing some financial planning. Um, that's that's where I started, right? Was in and really kind of that that spectrum of people. It went from you know twenty year olds all the way up to you know pre retirees and even retirees. So it's right. it's it's the full spectrum. And again, you know where I specialize, what I love doing is working with the individuals. That's that's my um, that's my number one focus uh, when I'm working with people. And again, my boss, you know, he he's a big proponent of working with retirement plans. So I think that's why we really kind of. Um, uh, collaborate and that's why we really work together is he's got his you know focus on what he loves doing um, as well as obviously he's doing all of his individual business but you know again that that's that's where I think we work really really well together now that's Russell good. when you say individuals versus retirement plans are you saying your boss might work with somebody like a VRS and you might be working with like an individual like myself or are you saying whereas like Brandon is on W2 with his company mm-hmm. and so Southern Trust might work a little bit more of a relationship out, but Brandon can individually seek your attention. Do you see where I'm following or where I'm asking? I'm kind of yeah, yeah. So let, let's start with... for myself, but also our listeners. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's use Brandon for an example. So, you know, obviously he works with Southern Trust Mortgage. Um, Southern Trust Mortgage may potentially have a retirement plan um, and there are certain uh, duties and there are certain uh, procedures that they have to meet, you know, in, in order to really do a good job um, for their participants. So what they would do is they would hire Hermitage Wealth Management to give advice on the investments to make sure that they're meeting their criteria um, from a fiduciary X standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So along those lines, um, and where I come in is I get to work with Brandon particularly, right? Is is Brandon came to me and said. You know, hey, Russell, how is my 401k invested? How is it allocated? Is it accomplishing, you know, what I want to do into the future? That's where I can come in and really partner with those people. Do people that are at companies, and this is going to be a two-part two question. Mm-hmm. Do people that are at companies, A, are they able to slash do they change or alter what their policy already is? And then B, Kind of a follow-up to that, do you see a lot of people that come to you for additional advice? So where I'm kind of going with all this is my wife is my mental example at the moment. She doesn't work there anymore, but we mm-hmm. did just go through the ringer for about a year and a half trying to get access to what her retirement accounts and plans were from where she worked pre- previously and get it moved over to a, some form of IRA so it doesn't get taxed and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my whole question to you being if somebody is working for a company should they seek somebody like you out to take better advantage of what they're being given because i feel like a lot of time it's just sign on the dotted line and move on um potentially you know i'll tell you it's very um it's very individually based so you know some retirement plans uh some companies they have you know, a company like us and there's a person like me that's giving the advice. Gotcha. Um, now, cool. you, you have to think to a certain extent where this person is working with every participant in the plan, right? So sure. um, compared to someone that's maybe individually based, you know, so so let, let's kind of go back to your wife there for a second. If, if your wife was still working or is working or, you know, you had a retirement plan or whoever has a retirement plan and you wanted maybe someone that you feel listens to you a little bit more on your individual goals on what you're looking for, you know, again, kind of that one-on-one focus, it may make sense to um, go for outside advice, you know, uh, with, uh, with respect to the funds themselves, the retirement plan, or, you know, again, overall financial plan. That's, that's, that's one thing that I think is, is arguably one of the most important aspects that, you know, a lot of people think you know actually don't necessarily think about when it comes to working with a financial advisor is a lot a lot of people think it's just investments only right you know hey the yeah. s&p 500 did x you know the russell 2000 did y yeah. you know what are you gonna do and, and, and i'll tell you you know again from the standpoint of the investments the the one thing that i think is more important than anything is again having that financial plan because what it really kind of breaks down to is you know i don't know what rate of return you need to make on your investments. I don't know how much you need to retire, right? Because that really kind of plays back into how you need to invest, right? Or I, what you need to invest into. And I can kind of piggyback that off of that. Just, I mean, talking about Russell's process that I've experienced, he's very good at, at breaking down why you're even considering to invest or why you're even considering to invest in retirement and, and so on and so forth. You know, Austin, you kind of mentioned it, like, you know, his company can come and help, for instance, somebody like Southern Trust Mortgage build their 401k plan and their retirement plans for their employees. But I think it's even more important to sit down with Russell and really let him help the individual because, I mean, he's expanded my mind and knowledge. It's unspeakable on how much he has helped me just like think of different scenarios and and think of different possibilities that I didn't even know existed. And those are things that my company can't provide me. So I wouldn't even know that they're out there unless I went and, and talked to him about, hey, these are my goals for the future, whether it be 5, 10, 20 years down the road. And this is why I want to do it. I want to retire. I want to be able to live my life the way I'm living it now, comfortably and spend around the same amount. Now, how do I do that? And Russell's so good at breaking it down and explaining the different avenues to take to accomplish those goals. I like that you touched on so many different factors there. I'm going to go ahead and spoil my book that I got for you that I told you about um, because it ties in perfectly to this. It's called Who Not How, and it's by Dan Sullivan. And the entire concept here is basing around people, obviously, instead of the task. But what's really cool here is – one of my favorite parts from the book is he talks about two types of relationship and really he talks about approaching say a transaction or or a person as one of two ways transactionally which we hear all the time and that's talking about making the sale in our case brandon and i it's somebody looking to buy a house or or possibly sell a house 
Um, in Russell's case, I'm not even going to begin to describe his options, but obviously <laughs> there's a lot of them, um, but it's, it's a financial picture. But what's more important is Eden Properties is founded trying to break that mindset and, and go forward with the, uh, the book calls it a transformative mindset, which is, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your needs. I want to build a relationship with you. If we build that no like trust factor, then it will be easy to decide when or how you should buy or sell a house because I'm going to know what you really need. Just like it will be easy for Russell to guide you on your financial picture because he'll know you and what you really want to do. Because the old adage of I want to retire at 65 or whenever the government tells me to is not a thing, especially try telling a millennial that. Try telling a millennial now that's fresh out of college at 21 that great, you got to go work the same job for 44 years. Um, if not longer, if not longer, there's not going to be a lot of yeah. buy-in there. Um, and, and I think that's really cool because I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a forward way of thinking, but B it buys in line with obviously what Brandon and I preach on the tribe of wealth, but also with our businesses and the relationships. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So Russell, so tell me, kind of walk us through, you know, let's say, you know, we, we have somebody that that comes to Austin and I and says, hey, I've been thinking I want to do a little bit more than just my company's 401k and I want to meet with a financial planner. Just walk us through briefly kind of what that process is like, you know, not not so much what you're going to set somebody up with in investment wise, because I know that's very complex and subject to that specific person in their situation. But what's the whole beginning process of getting somebody in front of you and then, you, you know, you taking them through your uh, under your wing kind of thing? In your yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I'll do when I meet anybody in general is um, just really kind of ask general questions about what their goals are. You know, I think one thing that's very important to understand when you're working with really kind of anybody is it has to be a good fit for both of you or both, both individuals, you know? So again, it, I, I think that, it, you know, the first thing I'll do is, again, I'll, is I'll listen to exactly what they are looking for what are their goals um, and, and kind of decide if that's a, a good relationship for the both of us, or if it's just, you know, maybe pointing them in the right direction to someone else, right. That, that, that may be able to better serve them. Um, now, after li listening to their goals, um, the number one thing that really any client uh, can provide me is information. You know, I, I have to, know you as an individual arguably more than you know yourself you know i have to understand um just to make it you know kind of uh more top of the mind here you know i have to understand obviously your finances i have to understand you know what your um what your overall picture looks like um but what i think a lot of uh benefit comes to is actually again understanding who they are as a person right i think i think it's very important to understand their emotions, their feelings, um, you know, taking into a lot of like their body language when you ask questions. I think that's very, very important um, to understand that. Uh, but again, data and information is the number one thing that I can ask for for any client, because especially if it's a, a financial planning client, um, all that information makes a, a huge impact on, on what the financial plan looks like. Um, but continuing on, if they move forward with that, um, if, if it's, again, a financial planning client, um, we'll start to build what we call your base plan, right? So when I say a base plan, think of it as kind of your baseline. So we're going to use where you are with what you have and what that looks like into the future. 
And then based off of that base plan, I feel like I'm saying a base a lot, um, but based off of that, uh, we build alternative plans. So again, if we'll, we'll use uh, Austin for an example. If Austin, you came to me and said, hey, I want to you know, retire in X year. I want to have this much left over for a legacy um, as well as uh, covering my life if something were to happen to me and paying for college in the future. Um, we build alternative plans based off of the base plan. Right. And based with what that alternative plan shows me is recommendations of, hey, Austin, because of this reason, I would recommend this. I would recommend this and I would recommend this. And if you take those recommendations and it becomes um, something that we move forward with, then that becomes your new base plan based off of those recommendations. Um, and then after that, it's a lot of, again, uh, high touch from the standpoint of checking in with people, making sure that um you know, what, what we're building right from a financial plan is working effectively, because I'll tell you, you can meet with your, you know, financial advisor, financial planner yesterday or a week ago, and things could change, right? I, th I think that, that that's um, very important, again, to understand is that, you know, I, I, I'm an individual that always likes to, again, know my person, uh, again, arguably better than they know themselves. So, Again, from a process standpoint, it's uh, meet with the individual, collect data, uh, make sure that you know we're building everything that they're looking for, and then it's really review and, and, and touching to make sure that we are going to uh, or, or that we're accomplishing the goals that they set out for. Well, like it's that them, constant, man. yeah, it's that constant contact where it's hey, I just want you to know I'm here for you, or hey, let's go over this, and especially, I mean, coming off. We're still calling it the COVID market, I guess, but coming off the last year and a half of craziness as far as markets are concerned, both from your eyes and perspective and ours, um, having someone in your corner that you trust is important there and having somebody you can turn to and say, hey, am I okay with this or am I okay to just more often than not the reassurance to say, hey, you're okay sitting tight is all we need. Mm -hmm. But but if you don't have that that trusted advisor and that and that uh, in your corner, it can be very scary, especially as the media continues to caution. Otherwise, I was I was trying to choose my words <laughs> carefully there. Um, I feel like you're, you're definitely building that trust super early on in your process too, which is so clear because I, I I did I didn't want to stop you because you were on a roll there, but you hit it on the head, man. You're you're kind of getting these people to tell you more about themselves than they know about themselves. I definitely felt that way. You know, just you asking questions and figuring out stuff. I'm like, man, I didn't even ponder that. I didn't even think about that before. And you're also start, you also kind of pull out people's fears, especially mm -hmm. on a yep. monetary standpoint, yep. you know, what are you scared of and what can I do to help you, you know, cushion that and have a safety net. So that's not a worry and that you're sleeping at night and you're just thinking about your kid's health, your family's health and having fun with life. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, you definitely kind of bring a sense of stability to people's financial picture, which is just in that the whole point of, of sitting down with you, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's great. Um, you know, I think I think this has been awesome. I'd love to to kind of wrap this up with I'd love to know what your why is. I know you kind of hit on it throughout this whole episode in our conversation, but you know, really nailed down to us. Why do you love what you do? I've heard your compassion. We went and got a beer together a couple of weeks ago before a soccer game at Hardywood and before you know, just the passion game. that come. Oh yeah. It was, it, you know, adult <laughs> league. We're out having fun. Uh, get a little loosey-goosey before. Hey, but, you hey, know, I swing, know the fire. 
it's swing juice, okay? That's all that is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little lube in the joints. So we get a little yeah. older. We need to yeah. Make some of yeah. the bumps and bruises hurt a little less. Ain't, ain't that the truth? Um, a, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, tell us your why. I want to know that. That's big, big to us. Yeah, so uh, my uh, my why really boils down to, you know, actually something I stated really at the beginning of this. And it has to do with, again, just really kind of an unsatisfied want to help people. Uh, again, I, naturally, I'm a, a people person, so I love to serve. Um, and arguably one of the hardest, to- uh, sorry, uh, it's it just, again, it really kind of boils down to really just wanting to help people. Um, unfortunately, with our current education system, you know, finances and money and, um you know, really overall, uh, good Maybe. economic, and <laughs> yeah. good economic, um, principles. It's not really taught to us at a young age. Um, I wanted you know, to my... bring that up earlier. I wanted to say like, yeah, everybody says how taxes should be taught in high school, but really <laughs> financial management or wealth in particular, I think should be taught. Yeah. Um, arguably. I, I very, yeah. I was fortunate to grow up playing rich dad, poor dad as a, as a monopoly game instead of, uh, instead of actual monopoly. So I had it beaten into me from a young age, yeah. um, all about different wealth managements, obviously with heavy emphasis on real estate, but didn't mean to cut you off there, but keep going. That was just... No, I mean, I was just going to kind of piggyback off of that. And I think budgeting is arguably one of the most important principles yes. that we're never taught. Yes. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's a shame, you know, that, that, that we're not taught that. Um, and again, that really kind of boils back into, you know, what my approach is, is I actually really want to educate people more than anything. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I have clients that trust me with, you know, their money or their goals or their aspirations. But at the end of the day, this is, you know, your money. This is your goals. These are your aspirations. I'm here to help you and push you and get you to where you need to go. You know, Brandon, I think it's one thing that you uh, talked about a little bit earlier um, has to do with, you know, bringing out the emotions of people, you know, money is a very emotional topic, right? Again, it's not something that we're, we're taught, right. And, and outside of, you know, just telling individuals when, they're on a good track. It's also challenging a lot of people to, uh, you know, to, to, to stay on track to, you know, make sure that just because markets are volatile or, you know, you name whatever world events happening, your overall strategy, you need to stick to it. Right. So again, it's, it's really educating. It's really challenging people. It's, it's really just building the trust for individuals to, to, uh, to, to trust me, right? And, and to make sure that I'm teaching them also very good um, financial principles and, again, really kind of just coaching them to get to their goals. That is awesome. So I am very uh, visual. I have whiteboards all over both offices. I have stuff stuck all over the walls. And um, for a while now, I've kind of been preaching, uh, the, again, the who, not how reference, but you should have somebody that should manage or be your trusted advisor, so to speak, for each area of your life. If you think about it, it's not uncommon to have a doctor to check in on our health <laughs> or to have an accountant to check in on our taxes when, when it comes time of year. Um, but I think you should have a real estate team, which is a lender and realtor paired together, a team, to check in on your housing status. And I think you should have a financial or a wealth expert to check in on your financial status. And that should be an ongoing thing, just like it is with your health checkup, even if it's once a year, like an annual physical. And then every so years, you might have a special checkup. Um, that's okay. Bad. 
Exactly. That's how it should be. Just like you should have a plumber. You should have an electrician. And if you don't, then those people that are, that you do have should have somebody for you. And that's how the trust factor is built because that way, if you already trust them as your doctor, they should be able to refer you somebody that you should trust in that other area. And if not, I don't know, fix your tribe. Yeah. I'll I'll tell (laughs) you, I'll tell you, you know, you, you talked about doctors, um, you know, and, and, you know, really kind of the specialty aspect of it. One, uh, one thing that I always really tell everybody, right. You know, again, I told you that it's hard for, um, you know, people think of me as just a money manager, as an investment manager. But again, I think that the actual planning process is the most important. So the way I kind of frame it for individuals um, is, you know, talking about your doctor, right? You know, if you hurt, you know, Brandon, how about this? We'll, we'll pull a soccer reference in here, uh, or soccer reference in here. You know, if we hurt our knees playing soccer, you know, I'm not just going to walk into my doctor and he's going to schedule me for surgery right away, right? You know, he's going yeah. to meet with me. He's going to run diagnostic tests. We're probably going to have an MRI. And then after all that information comes through, then we schedule surgery, go to physical therapy, you know, whatever, whatever the, the diagnosis is. I think it's very similar, you know, and exactly what I do, right? It's, it's not just a, you know, hey, this is exactly what you need to do because of where you are today. It's, again, understanding where you are. So I like how you... Uh, you, you brought up the doctor reference there because it's very, very similar to how I take my approach. And I like that because there's no, there's no magic eight ball either. It needs to be um, a, a feeling out process is probably an inappropriate way to put it because it's, <laughs> it's more, well, but it's more formal than that. And I think it's yeah. more intimate than that because you are dealing with, uh, I can't remember which one of you touched on it. I want to say it was Russell, um, but it's emotional. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes to Brandon definitely touched on it too, because it's money and you pull, you pull things out of uh, us when we're talking about money, but we obviously deal with it because people are making their largest financial purchase they've ever made in their life. Um, But it is normal to have high emotion or fear or stress or these maybe negative connotation emotions around some of those decisions or those uh, processes, but it's because we don't know anything about them as a general population, unless we have a hired expert or somebody that does know about it or is passionate about it. What's cool is if you find the right people like Russell, you can find people that want to help you and help educate you. So those fears are eliminated. That's super cool that, that you uh, touched on the education piece too, because that's obviously scratching my itch. <laughs> I'm still like in all my jaws hitting the floor talking about budgeting. Cause I'm just like, man, I, that might be the most important piece. Honestly, I'm sitting here like, dude, that's, that's my biggest problem. when I'm looking at people even just qualifying for a house. I've got people. If who, you think about it, you know, the, and I've heard, I mean, Dave Ramsey and the likes I mean, big, big names. I've heard all say this. Um, it's not, I'm not claiming it by any means, but um, I've heard repeatedly from other sources that the number one or first step and Russell, you'd probably agree with this, but that first step is making a budget and trying to stick to that budget. Um, I mean, anyway, you want to pay off a credit card or anything like that. You don't even get a credit card before you can get to that point. Um, Savings, investing, that sort of thing. There's no magic number because it's all personal and it's going to change. You might save. I mean, I'll take myself as an example. As an individual agent, when I started out, I was taught save 25% of every paycheck because you're a 1099 employee. I was like, okay, great. Well, in the (laughs) early seasons and early on, when you're not selling that much, you don't need to save 25% because you're not making that much money. 
Um, then you hit a little bit of a period where you are making a lot of money, but you need to save a little bit more because mm -hmm. you don't know what to write off. Then you find a good accountant, you find out what to write off, you find a balance somewhere in their shape or form. And if you do what I did, you open up a company, a team, and have a bunch of kids, and now you have to pay more taxes than you're happy with. <laughs> <laughs> and then it matters. Yeah, exactly. But regardless, it all changes, and the amount changes, and you should have somebody, not something or some or or a tool. Um, but somebody, a person that you can trust to turn to and say, hey, okay, this is the next step. What do we do here? Um, and I like that. That's kind of been the focus of our conversation. And that's the whole point of the podcast. So hopefully we've hammered that home. Um, I don't know, Brandon, you want to add anything else? I know we wanted to keep it somewhat short because we plan to have Russell back again. So you do not get all of him at once. No, we'll definitely have him back. I think this is a good opener and, I mean, now we could kind of hone in on maybe one or two topics moving forward and just kind of educate people maybe on, on the stuff that we know. And Russ, obviously, I appreciate it. Can we make like a tagline for you, like Mo Money Mun or something like that? Or like... Mo Money Mun. Look, you, uh, Mo you, Money you, Mun. You call me whatever you want to. <laughs> yeah. Russ is like, I've been called much worse. So. <laughs> exactly. Run with. Uh, no, that is awesome. No, Brandon uh, hit it on the head. Russell, we do appreciate it. Do you have anything to add before we close out? And then I'll round us off. No, I mean, I just, like, like I said, I appreciate uh, y'all having me on. I appreciate you letting me uh, spread my message. Um, and uh, I look forward to, to coming back to, to becoming a part of the tribe, right? And, uh, and uh, again, I just want to thank you both for having me. Anytime, man. We only you, require you are part of the tribe. <laughs> we only require a thousand downloads. So share the podcast with whoever you need to to get to that point. But other than All that, right. we appreciate No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't even think we have a thousand yet as a season. So, uh, but anything you want to do to help, we're happy to, to accept it. But uh, no, Russell, it's been a pleasure. You are absolutely more than welcome on the show anytime. For those that have been listening, we appreciate you guys as well. And please do share the show. We look forward to having more guests like Russell and Russell himself back on in the future. As always, thanks for listening to the Tribe of Wealth podcast. See you guys next time. Take care.